O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let the whole earth stand in awe of him. Let us humbly confess our sins unto Almighty God. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, open thou our lips. And our mouth shall show forth thy praise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise ye the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Psalms for this evening are Psalm 21 and 24, beginning on page 365. The King shall rejoice in thy strength, O Lord. Exceeding glad shall he be of thy salvation. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, and hast not denied him the request of his lips. For thou shalt meet him with the blessings of goodness, and shalt set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked for life of thee, and thou gavest him a long life, even for ever and ever. His honor is great in thy salvation. Glory and great worship shalt thou lay upon him. For thou shalt give him the everlasting felicity, and make him glad with the joy of thy countenance. And why? Because the king putteth his trust in the Lord, and in the mercy of the Most Highest he shall not miscarry. All thine enemies shall feel thy hand, thy right hand shall find out them that hate thee. Thou shalt make them like a fiery oven in the time of thy, dis of thy wrath. The Lord shall destroy them in his displeasure, and the fire shall consume them. Their fruit shall thou root out of the earth, and their seed from among the children of men. For they intended mischief against thee, and imagined such a device as they are not able to perform. Therefore shall thou put them to fight, flight, and the strings of thy bow shall thou make ready against the face of them. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing and praise thy power. Psalm 24 The earth is the Lord's, and all that is therein is, the compass of the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord, or who shall rise up in his holy place? Even he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, and ha that hath not lift up his mind unto vanity, nor sworn to deceive his neighbor. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and the righteousness from God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, even of them that seek thy face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? It is the Lord, strong and mighty, even the Lord, mighty in battle. 
Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? Even the Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here begins the first chapter of Micah. The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Zerah, uh, Hezekiah, king of, the, uh, king of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, all ye people, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the, word, let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and he will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression, transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones unto the valley, and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten into pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. Here endeth the first lesson. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath holpen his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Here begins the third chapter of the book of Romans. What advantage, then, has the Jew, and what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but let but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may that you may be justified in your words and make overcome them you are judged. But if our transgression I'm sorry, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts, inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. What then, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greek that they are all under sin, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understandeth. There is none who seeketh after God. They, ha all, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Here endeth the second lesson. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and to be the glory of thy people Israel. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, show thy mercy upon us. And grant us thy salvation. O Lord, save the state. And mercifully hear us when we call upon thee. And do thy ministers with righteousness. And make thy chosen people joyful. O Lord, save thy people. And bless thine inheritance. Give peace in our time, O Lord. For it is thou, Lord, only that makest us dwell in safety. O God, may clean our hearts within us. And take not thy Holy Spirit from us. Grant to us, Lord, we beseech thee, the Spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we, who cannot do anything that is good without thee, may by thee be enabled to live according to thy will, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, from whom all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works do proceed, give unto thy servants that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey thy commandments, and also that by thee, we being defended from the fear of our enemies, may pass our time in rest and quietness, through the merits of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Lighten our darkness, we beseech thee, O Lord, and by thy great mercy defend us from all perils and dangers of this night, for the love of thy only Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good evening to all couple of brief thoughts about our lessons for tonight. Start in Psalms 21 and 24. Um, 21 is, is really um, the second part of, a, of, a, of two Psalms, beginning in Psalms 20. And in Psalm 20, for the context of it, you're, you're seeing a petition made um, that the, um, the Lord would prevail on behalf of the people through the king leading the army out into a battle against an enemy of the people. And then Psalm 21 is the recognition that that victory has been granted um, and that in it, it's a victory that was, you know, so, um, so glorious um, that it was as as if the king had been coronated a second time. Um, and in the in the dyad of these two psalms together, you get the idea that um, the king figure who is represented in this poetry is um, is, you know, a Davidic king. It's a king inspired by King David and, and likely about David himself. Um, and is reflecting this idea that, that, you know, there's the coronation day of the king, but then there's also the proof of his, you know, of divine blessing upon him, which is borne out in things like wisdom exercised in the prudential governing of a city, but then also in the, you know, in the, in victory when they're, when the people are threatened by something. 
And Psalm 21 ends with a kind of refrain of, um, of, of triumph um, that the king has, has gloriously triumphed over his enemies and that the Lord um, is reflecting through this kingly victory, his displeasure against the enemies of his people. There is a kind of triumphalism that, that is detectable here, which is not entirely unfounded, um, if for the right reasons. Um, but as we'll go on to see in, the, you know, in the lessons tonight, um, there is reason to suspect that that triumphalism and that, um, that kind of beating of one's chest and saying, yeah, we are the people of the Lord and you can all, you know, like submit to us. We, we can't be beaten because the Lord is on our side. There's a confidence that we might have that one could have in that that's articulated in this. But then as we move into Psalm 24, we get the other half of that picture, um, which is that which is this um, sort of liturgical procession. The poetry of Psalm 24 reflects the procession of the Ark of the Covenant going back into the temple again, um, having been brought out um, from the temple space. And we'll recall this um, being a. Um, you know, being a feature of, of warfare in ancient Israel of the ark going out with the armies um, and, and you know, to, you know, to reflect in real terms that the Lord was, you know, as Moses said, a man of war. The Lord is his name and he goes out with his people and he himself gains the victory um, and that there is a the, the martial prowess of Israel was never to be attributed to their technology and siege weapons or in or in martial, you know, martial skill but rather the fact that the Lord always fought with them. And that was the only way they were able to establish themselves in the land is that the Lord went ahead of them and was himself the one who gained victory over peoples who were much more potent in military prowess than his own, than his own people. It was a sign that in their insufficiency to fight their battles, he was sufficient to them. And yet, despite that being the constant refrain that should be take, the takeaway from this is, um, you know, as 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 we go into Psalm, the end of Psalm 24, you have this, you know, this again, the song of triumph going back into the city that the ark is being restored um, to its temple space, um, either in the tabernacle of old or in the temple space of Jerusalem. Uh, you have this idea that, like, yeah, we have the ark with us. And, and that means that we're, you know, we've, we've got the Lord on our side. And these are the, you know, we enjoy the prerogatives of being this temple city, this temple people, and we can't be overthrown because of that. And even in the Old Testament, there was, there was, there was, you know, especially in the histories, there's this, this image that that's not quite as simple as that. And so when we get to our lesson from Micah tonight, we're about to um, start into a sequence of, of prophetic oracles that tackle this very issue. Um, that particularly in the, the temple city of Jerusalem, there is this uh, creeping and um, ultimately disastrous sense of of national tribal of triumphalism that says, well, we're the temple city um, and we're protected. Um, and that gives people the idea that um, it doesn't quite matter what they do because, well, we're, we're the temple, we're, we're the temples at, we're the, you know, the sacred things are, we're in God's chosen city. I mean, like, what, he's not going to let us get destroyed. Um, and that leads to a kind of laxity um, in that overconfidence and presumptuousness of what you know what it means to be that temple people and the privilege of that and then being ordered by god in their center in a new in a newly ordered life around that temple instead they see it as a kind of divinely you know a divine prerogative that allows them to do whatever they want and to be whoever they want because in the end um, they're protected so micah is curious and we we get into the kind of difficult to pronounce uh uh, you know, points of origin of where he's from and what, who are his people as a way of uh, emphasizing that Micah's not from the city. He's not from Jerusalem, even though he's living near Jerusalem. Um, he's a he's a country boy um, and he's a prophet from the from the outskirts where um, in the time that he's writing, which is in the kind of latter days of Isaiah, the prophet, um, he's going to be um, he's going to be talking about the fall of the the, the potential fall of the, these two capitals of, of ancient Israel. He's speaking in chapter one from our lesson tonight about the fall of Samaria and the northern kingdom and why it fell. Um, and then he's going to then shift later on into a discussion of Jerusalem, who is imitating the same um, corruption that Samaria exemplified and yet is um, celebrating itself as having endured the siege of the Assyrians, whereas Samaria had fallen to the siege of the Assyrians. And they had taken that in the precisely wrong way again, that this was a sign that God favored them and gave them kind of license to do what they wanted. 
um, because at least they weren't like the Samaritans up there to the north because they got weight. They got, you know, they're complete, they were completely sacked um, and they had withstood. So, uh, you know, God must be on our side and um, and we're not, you know, we have some leeway here. Um, Mike is going to come along and say that's that's exactly wrong. Um, and he's going to say that that same corruption is going to bring about the fall of Jerusalem as well. That even though Isaiah, the prophet who had, was living in Jerusalem, had foretold the protection of the city against the Assyrians, Mike is clear to say that if you continue in the way that brought down Samaria, you yourself will also be brought down by this. You can't flex over this other group and do the same things that brought them down. God is willing to destroy his own city in order to make this point to the nations that covenant faithfulness to him is what matters. And this ties us back to Psalm 24. Who can with integrity follow the ark with triumph back into the temple city? It is those who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And this is the generation of them that seek them. This is the group of people that inherit these blessings. This is the generation of those who have life, is those who actually seek the face of God and seek to do his will. And this becomes the point St. Paul makes in Romans chapter three, after in chapter one and two, bringing both Jew and Gentile under a common condemnation uh, under the law, both expressed in the law given to Israel and the law written in the hearts, the conscience of the people and in the ordering of creation. He points out that, no, it, it is not, you know, simply on the on the basis of being in this sort of um, you know, privileged group of people, this privileged ethnic group that guarantees your salvation by the hand of the Lord. Um, it is in, indeed this faithfulness to the will of God, to the to, re, to the revealed will of God. And while the natural law had inclined people's hearts towards a kind of general religion, and while the law given to Israel had revealed the perfect standard of God that Israel continually failed to meet, all of this was towards the end of this, this of, of pointing us to Christ who would both uphold that law and then he would pour his spirit upon all flesh in order to inaugurate and hasten his kingdom on earth, where people from all groups, would, all peoples would be brought into this kingdom, not made with hands, not forged by national militaries, not forged by treaties or anything like that, but by this covenant in Christ's blood. He's going to make this people and then pour his spirit upon them so that they can actually be those who seek the face of God, who hear the will of God and then do it, and so live. And so as we see these things in their integrity, it reminds us that we can never presume upon the goodwill of God to think that, ah, well, you know, I've got my sacraments, I've been baptized, I've been confirmed, I go to, you know, go to, I go to mass on Sunday. You know, it kind of gives me carte blanche because, you know, God's grace is sufficient, right? And, and at the same time, it should remind us that in the ways we know ourselves to be unworthy of grace, that is the very place where grace likes to begin, where the grace of God tends to begin. And so it guards us from the error of presumption, but it also guards us from the error of despair and brings us back to a place that I hope we're in tonight where we can come before the Lord together and receive again that corrective grace, but then also that renewal of grace as well. And we'll continue with our intercession on 590. Accept, O Lord, our intercessions for all mankind. Let the light of thy gospel shine upon all nations, and may as many as have received it live as becomes it. Be gracious unto thy church, and grant that every member of the same in his vocation and ministry may serve thee faithfully. Bless all in authority over us, and so rule their hearts and strengthen their hands, that they may punish wickedness and vice, and maintain thy true religion and virtue. Send down thy blessings, temporal and spiritual, upon all our relations, friends, and neighbors. Reward all who have done us good, and pardon all those who have done or wish us evil, and give them repentance and better minds. Be merciful to all who are in any trouble. And do thou, the God of pity, administer to them according to their several necessities. For his sake, who went about doing good, thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen.
Thank you all so much for being here. And thanks to Barbara, my co-leader tonight. Hope you have a wonderful evening. Thank good you. Yeah. Have a good evening. Thanks, Father Hayden. Good night, everybody. Thank have you. Good. Thank you. Have a good evening.